When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We continue going further and further down the list of our top 25 Bengals for the 2023 season. We talked a little bit about him yesterday. We're going to talk a whole lot about him uh, some more today, and that is Dax Hill, number 23 on our list. And again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He is not number 23 on the list because of his jersey number. Yes, it's a coincidence. I promise that was not intentionally planned. We we had an aggregated system where we uh, voted on the top 25 and just happened to fall that way, be that as it may. But we're going to talk about him, uh, more about what he could have done to get ranked higher if he's in the right spot, you know, in contrast to other guys on the list, and much more to talk about on this podcast. Welcome to another top 25 edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad here with you alongside Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik. And we are going to read one of our responses later on the podcast. But if you want to tell us why you're a Bengals fan so we can read your response on this podcast, you can go to strictlystripes.com and you'll see a link that says why I'm a Bengals fan. Tell us your story. Click on it. Fill it out. If it's easier, you can email us instead at stripes at cleveland.com. We've been getting a lot of responses. We're going to be sharing a couple every week for the next couple of weeks. We shared our first one on Tuesday. Uh, it was actually a really good one, too. And I think this one's going to be just as good, if not better, that we're going to read to you later. So uh, make sure you fill out that form uh, or email us if it's easier. So Dax Hill, number 23. I know when we talked about him yesterday on our last discussion, for those who missed it, you know, we said, okay, you know, him against Miles Murphy, like, should he be ranked higher than Miles Murphy, lower than Miles Murphy? Uh, we had some differing opinions on that. But I think the, the bigger question is with, you know, Dax Hill at number 23, is that too low of a ranking? Like, could he have maybe been inside of the top 20? Could he have be, could he be at, you know, 21, 22? Like, could there have been an argument for that? And if not, why do you guys think of that? Either of you guys can go first. I mean, I think, you know, the argument to kind of put him, um, you know, in that in that top 20, like like you're saying, I think that that's a little too far gone just because, you know, this is a little bit, you know, similar to the Miles Murphy thing. I think, you know, obviously you can feel good about where he's at. Obviously you can feel, you know, good that coaches are, are kind of hyping him up and coaches are saying we expect big things from him and, you know, coaches are, you know, coaches can give you coach speak, but, you know, a, a lot of them have kind of, indicated that they feel good and I think also their actions have kind of indicate that they feel comfortable with him I mean you don't go into a year with you know uh Nick Scott who, who's coming over with one year starting experience and a rookie 
along with Dax Hill, if, if you didn't think Dax Hill was going to be a contributor. So I think, you know, the Bengals are looking for good things from, from him, and, and that's important. But again, when you're talking about a guy who didn't really play a lot last year, and, and frankly, he didn't really play a lot at the position he's going to have to play this year. Uh, so that that's just a tough a tough thing to say, you know. Oh, this dude is going to be a guaranteed contributor, or oh, this dude is going to be, you know, X Y Z. You know, it, I just think it's it's really really hard to kind of make a case for him, you know, over some other guys. You know, you think of a like even a Nick Scott who has performed well in the league. You know, I know he hasn't played for the Bengals. It's just it's just kind of hard to make that case. So, yeah, I, I you know I think um, you know Dax Hill has the potential. You know, if you know if we do this list. You know, a, a year from now, I think, you know, Dax Hill kind of has that potential to be, you know, probably in the top half of this list. I just don't think that, uh, you know, there, there's really any case right now to put him up high. Yeah, I mean, going into this this fall, I mean, you know, he's going to, well, I mean, one thing you said, he's going to be a contributor, he's going to start. But whether that's quality or not, I think is the question. And I think it yeah. needs to be seen. Um, you know, he doesn't have a veteran sort of mentor like Yvonne Bell now. Uh, you know, they got, they got rid of that, him, obviously he's stepping up with, and he's going to look bad compared to Jesse Bates. Cause I don't think he's going to immediately step in and be that kind of player. I think there's going to be a learning curve. I think it'll be dependent on how quickly he can adapt and improve. I mean, I think teams will test him early. Um, but yeah, no, I, he had no place in the top 20 this year. I mean, just because, um, he hasn't done anything, didn't do anything, you know, last year in terms of, especially his position. I mean, we played one game essentially, but, um, I think one of the clear questions marks is that that secondary. So like in one of the other question marks, going back to the one you mentioned, like a few seconds ago is like, you know, him being a starter, like how much does that play into it? And that's kind of what I was thinking. And I I don't know how much like you guys thought about that when, you know, you were making your uh, respective top 25 list before we got the final one that we aggregated. Cause like for me, I mentioned it yesterday. I had him at 23, like, which is where he is on the list. But now I'm kind of thinking about it, like, do you put him above, you know, Joe Mixon? Do you put him above, you know, I don't know, like Cam Taylor Britt? Like, it is not to say that, like, those guys aren't good. Like, I mean, spoiler, they're on the top 25 list. I won't say where they are, but they're on the list. Like, do you put those guys above them? Like, because I don't know, like you said, teams are going to be, like, testing the guy early. So because of that... And because, you know, he is a first-round pick and we would like to think he's athletic just based on what we saw partially last year in his senior year at Michigan, do you kind of give him a little bit more of a nod of confidence of like, okay, he's going to get tested and I think he can do it. But I guess because of that uncertainty, it's hard to say. Like, yeah, he is going to have more of a role than Evan McPherson, but we know Evan McPherson's good. We know what he's done in, in two seasons, especially like, his, his last two postseasons he's played in. And, like, we know how many games he's won both in the regular and postseason, like, for the Bengals. We don't know how many games uh, Dax Hill can win just based on his play alone. So th- the ambiguity is tough. But uh, going back to what you said, Mike, about Von Bell, let's say the Bengals work something out with Von Bell. He gets more guaranteed money, and he comes back for three more years. Do you rate him, not like in the top 20, I don't think, but do you put him at like 21, 22? Like, do you give him a little bit more of a consideration there? And Andrew, I want your thoughts on that too. No, it was more just that I think that he would have uh, an easier path to success, that he'd have somebody uh, to sort of help guide him a little more, somebody that has experience within the defense 
I think just having a whole new battery at safety um, just makes it that much more difficult. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think it makes him higher up, you know, because I think there's talent involved in, as, as well. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I was comfortable with the spot sort of um, no matter what. But, um, yeah, I just think it would make it a, an easier season for him in terms of what the expectations are and things like that. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And, you know, I mean, with Jesse Bates, I know he, he was more of a second-round pick. He was drafted a little bit lower in 2018 when the Bengals got him with – man, it's been so long. It was Marvin Lewis that actually drafted him. That was the last class before Zach Taylor came in. I mean, if you go back and, like, look at what Jesse Bates did, I mean, he beat out George Iloka, who was a veteran, like, which is very rare. That doesn't happen often. But, like, he beats out kind of an aging veteran, comes in right out the gate and makes an impact. That's where I feel like you, you can give Jesse Bates a little bit more of a nod because then, what, two years later – I think it was Joe Burrow's rookie year. He was a second-team All-Pro, and then at that point, that's where he was trying to, you know, work out a deal to get paid because he he realized how good he was, and I mean, obviously, he is it's why he got paid. But like, we just didn't see that from Dax out the gate. Who knows if, if say, God forbid, Jesse Bates, like, either he didn't hold out or after his holdout, he tears his ACL. Dax Hill plays the whole year. Then who knows? Maybe we see something we didn't see already, and he's at number fifteen. Number 17 for all we know. So I guess maybe this is a little bit unfair for Dax Hill, but obviously we're just, you know, we have to be fair and base it off of what we've seen. Um, but as far as like predictions go, I wrote about this a little bit and I have kind of some thoughts on this, but I want your all's thoughts on this. What, so two parts, I guess here, you can start with either part. What is a disappointing season in 2023 look like for Dax Hill? And on the flip side, what is a successful season or what should a successful season look like for Dax Hill? I think, you know, one of the big things for, for Dax is that, you know, you, you've got to be able to display your athleticism. I think if you can do that, um, you know, it, it, in the secondary, it's not so much about numbers as it is about, you know, a couple of other, other different things. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know, yeah, the numbers are important. Yeah, you need that to, um, you know, you need that and, and those are always good. Um, you know, Jesse Bates and Von Bell had, you know, eight interceptions between them. I, I don't think that that might, I don't, I don't know if that's a fair, uh, goal to say that Nick Scott and, um, you know, uh, Dax Hill have to combine for, for eight interceptions or that Dax has to get four interceptions to kind of match that production. Um, you know, I, I don't know if tackles or, or anything like that are necessarily indicative of how he plays. Cause honestly, I mean, you'd prefer to not have your, not have your safety make a ton of tackles. Um, so, I mean, if, if you can get him in a role where you can kind of put a lid on the opposing offense, kind of with that speed, with that athleticism, I think that that would matter. Um, so I, I'm not sure if there's necessarily like a quantitative metric to say Dax Hill has to do this or X, Y, and Z for his second year to be, you know, a successful year. I think, you know, when I, when I think about what constitutes a successful year for Dax Hill, I think more, um, you know, more along the lines of, okay, if he can, you know, come in and play at the level that they thought he could uh, when, the, when they drafted him, that's a successful year. You know, you, you kind of need him to do those things of, you know, play center field safety and, and kind of be the guy who can patrol the deep middle. Because if you get that, you know, then you can kind of work on a couple different other things with, with Nick Scott or with, uh, uh, you know, Jordan Battle in the box and, and kind of move them around a little bit. So I think that, you know, it's not, there's not going to be like a number that you could put on it and say, oh, well, he's got to hit this to have a successful year. I think, 
you know, when you, when I think about Dax Hill, I think it's going to be more, uh, you know, kind of more more things that, that don't really, uh, you know, can't be counted. Yeah, I think stats for a safety are sort of very nebulous. I mean, you can never know where the tackles are going to go. Interceptions as well, how many balls are going to go their way. I think it's, you know, successful season, um, he doesn't lose a job. You know, if he solidifies that starting spot as the future guy, I, I think that's just kind of what he's got to do. He's got to prove that he's the long-term starter there, um, and he's got to do it this year because, um, you know, this team needs answers with these young players, and they're relying on him, and so – you know, they're a Super Bowl contender, so there's no real, um, you know, school time. He's got to just, just be that guy. So there's some very interesting stats I pulled up from the Bengals defense last year that I didn't really think about until now. So they had the lowest uh, completion percentage from any opponent in the NFL. Opponents only completed 58.9% of their passes last year when playing the Bengals defense. Quarterback throwing against the Bengals defense had an 81.5 passer rating, third lowest in the league, so third best for the Bengals defense. And then their overall coverage grade on PFF, and I know it's subjective, but uh, PFF gave them an 84.3, which was seventh best in the NFL. So whether they're picky stats or you're you know really pulling straws at that point, you, you can argue okay, PFF is unreliable. Pass rating, okay, but what if, you know, you have this pass rating and the other team still wins? I get all that. I get all that. And completion percentage, okay, will they still run the ball on you? Sure. But the point is, if we're looking strictly at coverage, it wasn't bad. I think if the Bengals can at least stay in the top 10 of those categories, like even if you go from like 7th to 10th in coverage or, you know, 3rd to 5th or 6th in opposing passer rating, I think that's still fine because, like, there is going to be some drop off. You know, this is not a knock on him, but it's going to happen. Like, it took Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell three years to get to the level they were at before they both, you know, left Cincinnati. And of course, a lot of that goes on Cam Taylor Britt. How good will he be in year two? How healthy will Chidobi Awuzie be in his contract year? And you know, uh, how do they how do they replace Trey Flowers? What does Jordan Battle look like? It's not just Dax Hill. But if he can do enough complementary to his other teammates in the defensive backfield to keep them in those top 10 tiers in those categories, that's a successful season to me. Disappointment, I would say, is, I mean, it's cliche, but I'm going to say it. Like, if he looks like a rookie, which he's not, but if he looks like a rookie, making too many rookie mistakes. Like, because, for example, you're playing Deshaun Watson in week one. Let's say Kevin Stefanski in that offense wants to go deep and test him. He gets burned a couple times. Then you play Lamar Jackson a week later back at home. Same thing. They draw something up with John Harbaugh and Lamar, get burned. And then if you you know you play Matthew Stafford in week three and it's a common theme, then you've got a problem because it's like, okay, you just went up against two pretty good divisional quarterbacks and a mediocre, in my opinion, quarterback from the NFC. Then how are you going to deal with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, like the big cats, you know? So I, I would say if – there's a shaky start he can't overcome. I'd be very concerned, and I think the coaches would be too. But that's a big if. I'm not saying it will happen. That's a big, big if. So I think we kind of laid out uh, the lay of the land with uh, Dax Hill going into next season. So we're going to take a quick break. We are going to get to one of our Bengals fan responses that I mentioned earlier. We're going to read about it. We're going to talk about it and get our thoughts on that. So stay with us. We're going to have that interesting response right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We talked about 
number 23, being number 23 on our top 25 Bengals for next season list. So I actually, I thought about it. Number 23 is number 23 on our list for the 23 season. See, it's a trifecta. Look, it all just works out. Um, but in all seriousness, since we talked about him, expectations, uh, realistic expectations for Dak still going into next year. Before we talk about uh, one of our colorful Bengals fan responses, we want to remind you all to sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter, which is free in your inbox every morning during the week. And you do that by going to cleveland.com slash newsletters. Very easy and quick to sign up. More importantly, though, and you guys keep hearing about this. And, and sometimes I have to I, I say to myself, what is Cincinnati Football Insider? You know, what the heck even is subtext? I'm sure some of you listening have probably never even heard of subtext. If you did, great. If not, Andrew, can you just explain to people what the heck subtext is and why they are just missing out by not being signed up for Cincinnati Football Insider? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great time to sign up for subtext. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, you know, frankly, didn't really know what it was. Basically what it is, you know, you're going to text your, uh, you're going to text your name to 513-949-4147. And basically what you're going to do is once you send that, you're going to get everything you could ask for when it comes to Cincinnati Bengals sent right to your phone. You don't have to worry about Twitter. You don't have to worry about scrolling through Instagram or going to whatever. It's just going to get sent right to your phone from, from us. We're going to send you texts from the practice field. We're going to give you updates there from the locker room from transactions. We're going to give you our thoughts on a story we wrote, a thoughts on pretty much anything going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be something where anything you need to know about it, it's going to get sent right to your phone. Uh, it's very cheap to sign up. It's very easy to quit if you don't like it. You know, it's just one of those things where, again, like I've said before, you get to cut the line on Twitter. You don't have to deal with all the, all the hoopla going on over there. So, you know, it's just always a good time to sign up and, um, you know, kind of hear hear from us first what's going on with the Bengals and and kind of learn from uh, learn from us what we think of the team. Amen to that, my friend. Amen to that. Make sure you sign up, like Andrew said, because it's a party and it's a lot of fun. So if you want to be a part of the party, make sure you sign up. All right. So I'm going to read our second of many Bengals fan responses that we've gotten so far. So here we go. This is from Brandon Wingate. Okay, Brandon, here we go. For starters, I live in the greater Cincinnati area on the Indiana side of the state line, so location plays a big factor. Okay, so I'm assuming Lawrenceburg, so shout out to Drew Christman, Lawrenceburg native. The biggest factor for me was my father. Even in the very bleak 90s, he spent every Sunday during football season yelling at the TV expecting a dub. Born in 86, I saw this and was always a Bengals fan. But in 2003, when we actually won eight games for the first time in my memory, and then the playoffs in 2005 when Palmer went down, I was hooked. From then, I bled orange and black more than a game. It was what my father and I bonded over the most. My only regret is he passed away Christmas 2019. May he rest in peace. He never got to see the Joe Burrow era, although he did say after watching LSU play that season, quote, they better draft Joe Burrow. He's never out of a game, end quote. Thank you. Sincerely, Brandon Wingate, all caps with six exclamation marks. Who day? Very passionate, very colorful, just like the one we read on Tuesday. I, I like these responses. Think, a couple of things I wanted to look at here that were interesting. So he mentioned uh, 2005 when the Bengals made the playoffs for the first time in, what, 15 seasons since uh, 1991, which was when Paul Brown passed away. So, yeah, they make it to the playoffs. And I'm sure you guys know this. You know, Carson Palmer, three plays in on their first drive. Throws to Chris Henry. 
may he rest in peace. And then Palmer literally tears his ACL and like John Kitna comes in who ironically I think is the head coach at Lakota East high school in Cincinnati. So then John Kitna comes in and the game was pretty much over before it started. Do you guys remember that game? Like, did you all watch that game when it happened? Yeah, that I, I actually game? do remember. Yeah, I, I do remember that. I remember thinking at the time it was a dirty play. Um, you so, know, so, like, so you actually thought um, it was a dirty play? Yeah, I, I remember kind of thinking. I, I, I would have to look back, and, and maybe that was just my, you know, my nine-year-old brain or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I, but I remember thinking at the time I, I didn't like the hit. I didn't think it was a good hit. Um, now that was the first in the Steelers playoff run, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like they beat, I, I th- they beat Cincinnati, and then they went on the road and beat Indianapolis. I think the next week, right? Uh, yeah, they went to Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike Vanderjack yeah, missed that field goal. Yeah, that was the game where um, you know the uh, the Steelers won at the very end. Um, that I remember. I, I remember that that game. I, I think honestly more because of the Steelers' run, just because uh, if if I'm if I don't have this mixed up, I think that was the playoff game where you know the Steelers put the bus in with like a minute left in the game, trying to score a game-winning touchdown, and he fumbled. And one of the Colts DBs picked it up and ran it back to midfield. And then Vanderjack missed like a, you know, like a 40 yard kick by 500 yards. And I, I, I remember that more than I remember, you know, the Bengals game specifically. I remember Palmer getting hurt. And then I remember the Steelers in the, in the divisional round. So I, I have a little bit of a file on that. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Do you remember that? You would have been a little older than us. I'm sure you probably remember it. I mean, I remember it. I didn't watch it live, so um, no. I mean, I remember there was a big discussion about it. I mean, those hits were essentially taken out of the game. Uh, it wasn't it's similar to what Brady's hit was to you know, a couple of years later. Oh, um, when he tore his ACL? Yeah, in like yeah it, it was like one of those. I, I think like I would have to look. It was Bernard I, I Pollard, I think, that, that did it. Yeah, I, I haven't watched that play in years, so I'd have to go back. But I, if memory serves, like the guy was like on the ground and just kind of lunged at him. I would have to. I'd have to go check that out. So yeah, that one, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I think that the one on that Pollard had on Brady, I think that was dirty. Like, that that dude was just always – I think he was too hard of a hitter in his career. I think the Bengals one – so I believe it was Kimo Van Alhofen, who used to play for the Bengals, actually. That's the ironic part. I don't know if he, he played with Carson Palmer, but he was a former Bengal, so – I don't think it was malicious. I just think it's like Mike said, that's kind of how the game was. And they realized like, okay, we can't have quarterbacks getting hit like that. So they, you know, changed a lot since then, but I don't think it was a malicious hit. I know some people still believe yeah, that. Yeah. I don't, so I pulled I don't it up. believe that. I, I pulled it up as, as, as we were talking about it. Yeah. That's, I'd like to rescind my dirty comment. Yeah, I was wrong. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, he was kind of like falling into him. I'm not sure he, uh, yeah, I'm not sure he was necessarily set out to to try and blow out his knee. Yeah, that. Yeah, I remember it being worse than it was. And when you when you rewatch it again, it's actually not as bad as you think. Oh, for sure. But I just wonder though whether the Bengals came out of that game with or without Palmer. At least maybe with Palmer. I just wonder, like, could they have gone to? Well, I'm trying to think. So if they had won that game, they technically would have gone to Denver. New England would have gone to Indianapolis because New England went to Denver and lost. That was like Brady's first playoff loss in like two, three years because he he just came off of back-to-back Super Bowl wins. So Brady plays Manning in the divisional round in the RCA Dome. Bengals go to Denver. They face Jake the Snake Plumber, who I still love that name. I think, yeah, we could have easily had a Bengals versus 
Colts slash Patriots AFC Championship. And like, if you think about it, if the Patriots went and upset Manning and the Bengals going upset Denver, like you could have had a Tom Brady versus the Bengals in the AFC Championship. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And I think that would have been hard because you're talking about two major upsets. Like Indy was the best team in the NFL that year. They were like 14-2. and two. I think Manning won MVP that year. He won one of his MVPs, or maybe it was someone else, but he had just been coming off of an MVP like a year or two before that if he didn't win it that year. And, yeah, like Cincinnati, you know, they're playing a good Denver team that I, I think kind of shocked a lot of people that year with how good they were because they made it to the conference title game and, like, lost to the Steelers who, you know, won the Super Bowl. But, yeah, I always wonder, like, that could have literally been like a Brady versus the Bengals AFC championship. Like, I – you know, you think about it, like, I don't want to say it's David versus Goliath, but like Brady's coming off of two Super Bowl rings, trying to get his third straight, which no NFL team has ever done. No one's ever won third straight Super Bowls. It would have been in the jungle. Man, that would have been like, that would have been pretty fun. That would have been pretty fun to kind of wrap this all up. And I think I've asked you guys this before, but for, so forgive me if I have, but I, I forgot. Was there a moment? Where like for whatever teams you root for, I guess for you, Andrew, it's Washington. Mike, you've mentioned the Bears. Was there a moment where you were like, okay, I'm a Bears fan now, or I'm a Washington fan now, or were you guys just indoctrinated by your families into either team? Like, how did it kind of play for you guys? I mean, for for me, it was just you know, I, I mean, I grew up in the D.C. area, so I don't really remember there being a moment or or there kind of being a you know, a moment or a thing or, or a player or anything. I think I just kind of always was, you know, always just was a huge fan. I don't really remember, you know, thinking, you know, hey, you know, now I'm a fan of, you know, now I'm a fan. Like I, I, I just, you know, I just kind of always really was. I don't, I don't remember there being a specific like moment in time or anything. Yeah, as a kid, I mean, it wasn't a, a, a sort of a place where there was, you know, you're in a region and, the, you know, there's only one team close or something like that. You know, in terms of like try, multiple teams close, you got to kind of pick. If you grow up in Chicago, you know, you tend to grow up a, a Bears fan, but, um, you know, a, a lot of years ago. So I got to ask you more later about the whole White Sox Cubs dynamic because that, that's so interesting because you, you mentioned that a few weeks ago on the pod. Yeah, I mean, for me, so it's kind of a little bit of both. Like, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is an hour south of Cincinnati. So, you know, you could pretty much say, like, Lexington is 80% Bengals country. Louisville, it's a little dicey because you're also, like, close to Indianapolis. I think Louisville's more 60-40, like 60 Bengals, 40 Colts. Maybe that's what it is now. Back then, it was the opposite. It was 60 Colts, 40 Bengals, but I think it's flipped now um, for many obvious reasons. But, yeah, I, I was just... I guess you could say I was indoctrinated. Like all my dad's brothers were big Bengals fans. So I naturally followed. But then I think that one year, it was, so it was 2009. It was Carson Palmer second to last year. They made the playoffs that, that year. Of course, he lost to the Jets. That's all I remember because it sucked. But yeah, they had Ocho Cinco. I think Hushman Zada was gone by that point. I think he was already kind of playing with other teams at that point. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that was when I really kind of started to see like the last glimmers of Ocho and Palmer, that little duo they had. So. That was kind of my moment, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I think like most people, I was just kind of indoctrinated, if you want to call it that. Uh, but stay with us. We're going to wrap up the week on a fine Friday talking about number 22 on our list, who is Irv Smith Jr., who's going to be very interesting because we've seen him play ball, but not as a Cincinnati Bengal. We'll have that plus another 
uh, cool interview with Charlie Jones's college coach on the podcast. But once again, for myself, Andrew, and Mike, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you Friday. Bye.